From WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University, I'm Byron Williams, and this is The Public Morality. Today, on The Public Morality, political commentator Joe Tuman returns to offer insight into the ongoing civics lesson that is Washington, D.C. politics. That's coming up on The Public Morality. Welcome to the public morality. The presidency of Donald Trump has been, simply stated, an ongoing civics lesson for the nation, testing the knowledge of its citizens and the elasticity of the democratic guardrails designed to hold us in check as we pursue a more perfect union. To help us understand the latest going-ons in Washington politics, we welcome back political commentator Joe Tooman. Joe Tooman, welcome back once again to The Public Morality. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You know, Joe, I, I feel like we should actually chronicle the, our discussions because they might make for a, a nice audio book about civics. But, um, you know, so in our latest civics episode, this being this conversation, what is the current phase of what's right now known as the impeachment inquiry? Where are we right now just as a, in a structural uh, I think we are close to uh, the end, actually, um, uh, because at the end of the day, two things are, are true, the, or, or I think factual. The first is that the Democrats at this point uh, in charge of the House investigation, or let's just say it's the House, uh, I won't make it all about Democrats necessarily, um, has already amassed enough evidence uh on, on at least one count to show uh, there was a quid pro quo and that the president was asking a foreign uh, national, or in this case, a foreign national government, um, for opposition research, which, by the way, is a thing of value. You pay, well, I, I ran for office, and I know that when people wanted to do negative ads against me, they paid people to you know, dig into background and, and the rest of it. It's a thing of value. Um, uh, to interfere with an, uh, a domestic election, and uh, uh, there's, you know, the president it, it, it basically acknowledged this. Uh, his chief of staff acknowledged it, and then when he realized he didn't acknowledge it, he tried to uh, walk it back. But it was out there, and the factual evidence already says this as well. So there is enough evidence uh, for at least that one count, uh, very clearly. Um, which violates federal election law and, uh, you know, puts the United States uh, at, at risk of having one more time its uh, domestic election compromised by foreign intervention. Uh, Joe, um, the other reality— Joe, before, yeah, you, go before you go to that other reality, would you mind explaining—you you sort of mentioned about against election law, but can you, would you mind just expanding on why it is detrimental to the United States— to go outside to a foreign source to uh, for our domestic politics? Well, first, because the Constitution forbids it, and also because uh, when we select our, our leaders, it's supposed to be part of our voting process in the, in the Republic. And uh, it's not supposed to be the result of uh, a foreign interference. Um, the, if we look the other way on this, then anybody who wants 
a good relationship with us or who wants something out of us. Basically, uh, it could be paid uh, to, to do that uh, or offer to do that. Um, there are also uh, certainly bad players in this, in this equation, and I mean, let's start with Russia, and I, I think I would put China on this list as well, that globally want to be competitors that would be quite happy to manipulate the outcome uh, in our elections um, to create a more favorable situation for themselves. So it's not American interests that are served, it's foreign interests that are served. And so, you know, the, the, the drafters of the Constitution were very clear um, that there was to be no foreign involvement or interference, participation in domestic elections, just for American citizens. And, and that's, that's the reason, ultimately, that, that uh, we, we draw this distinction. And where the election laws, uh, Ryan, kick in in this particular episode involving Ukraine is, as I said before, when the president asked uh, uh, the president uh, Zelensky of, of Ukraine to look for uh, dirt, for lack of a better term, you know, embarrassing information, something that would damage uh, not Hunter Biden, but actually his father's. Uh, opportunity at an election, um, asking someone to do basically in, in politics what we call opposition research, researching your opponent to to create negative kinds of campaign advertisements or messages or arguments, which unfortunately is kind of how we do things in this country. Um, having a foreign uh, entity involved with that was having the foreign entity in, involved itself in our election and also uh, contribute something of value that was not declared, wouldn't be declared in the president's uh, uh, statements. When you run for office at any level, you have to file paperwork quarterly uh, about how much money you've raised, where it came from, uh, did it exceed uh, federal or state or local limits, uh, that sort of thing. And uh, I can assure you that if opposition research was turned over, the president wouldn't be declaring it um, because, uh, first, it would be illegal since it's coming from a foreign government. And secondly, the fact that he's not declaring it also means that he's evading uh, campaign finance laws as well. So these are all the reasons that this is problematic. And as I said, the evidence is already there for that. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty simple. And, and I think that that's the first thing I, I think which is real. Mm -hmm. The other thing, back to your original question about where are we, um, is that uh, at this point, uh, the end of the year is looming. Um, 2020, obviously enough, is an election year. And I think the Democrats uh, are, are playing it kind of close to the edge here. They want to have it close enough to the election, at least I'll put it this way. If I was running it, if I was Nancy Pelosi and I was running this, I would want to have it close enough to the election so that the memory of impeachment would be in people's minds, um, uh, close to the election, but not so close to the election that it would enable the president in this case to claim that the impeachment was only being done to deny him uh, a chance in, in the election and, you know, rally his base that way. Uh, I think the longer they, they, and I don't think it's going to be for more than a couple of weeks, the longer uh, that the, the, the House, uh, different committees investigate this, the more they uh, find public awareness of it. And you've seen, if you've watched the polling uh, or, and came all the polls together just to average them, that we've gone from a situation where people supported the idea of an impeachment investigation now to more than 50% of the people in this country, in excess of, of half, more than half, 
not only support an impeachment inquiry, but support, if impeached, removal from office. And uh, that's that's the end of the game uh, for the president. So um, we're we're close to something like that. Uh, and I would look for the Democrats probably to continue this uh, to just before Thanksgiving. And, and try perhaps not to have this drive into December. Mm-hmm. Wrap it up before the end of the year. Now, I, I want to just turn ever so slightly. I want to I ask you a few questions, if I could, uh, talking with political commentator Joe Tuman, who more importantly is the uh, grandfather of August. How is August doing? Oh, <laughs> he's doing very well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he likes to water. His, his parents are farmers, and he loves to wander around in the field with a spray bottle when they're irrigating. <laughs> Praise the plants, and he says, "I'm watering them." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, 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 life was only that simple. <laughs> you know, no, Joe. You always—I mean, you, you don't have to be shameless here. You always have to throw a plug in for August. That's sort of that's right, absolutely. <laughs> okay, okay. I just, I just want to make sure we're you know, that, that we have, we have an understanding going forward. You always throw a pl- August plug in. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, but I want to talk about the, the, the closed. I want to ask you a few questions, if I could, about the um, uh, the closed door sessions. And and I guess um, the first one: Are these closed door sessions a violation of due process? Explain if they were, and, uh, or if they're not. Well, uh, they're they're absolutely not, and uh, for three reasons. The the first reason is that by rule. Um, House Republicans uh, who serve on those committees are allowed to be in the room. They're allowed to hear all the testimony. They're allowed to look at any of the, uh, the physical evidence that's turned over. And they're also allowed to ask questions. So the idea that they're closed off and that – and I don't even know that due process would be the correct way of refer, referring to this. But let's just say fairness. Um, but there is no fairness. It's, that's baloney. Uh, the House uh, allows – Members of both parties uh, full access to this. I'm only you using. Have to be a member. You have to be a member of the committee. That's that's the rule. I'm only using the due second, process because that was the that was the language used in, to, to counter this. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, so that's that's the first. The, uh-huh. the the second reason that that this is a fallacious point is that it uh, the current system of having these as closed hearings was actually suggested. Um, by John Boehner and and House Republicans Speaker, uh, the last time around Speaker when they John did Boehner. the Benghazi investigation. And they wrote this policy, and the Democrats are following it. And uh, so it sort of is a little incredible <laughs> that the Republicans would want to have it when they're in charge but think that it's unfair when the Democrats are in charge. That's just hypocritical and, frankly, stupid. But the most important reason uh-huh. to have this closed hearing uh, I'll speak as a lawyer, is that you, you know, you're going to have multiple witnesses, like the guy that's trying to get this morning who's now you know, apparently going to require a judge to decide if he has to appear or not, Mr. Kupperman, um, who is John Bolton's uh, uh, assistant and was also someone who was listening in on the infamous phone call to Mr. Zelensky. Um, there are lots of witnesses like him uh, that the Democrats are trying to talk to, people who were involved with that phone call. And, and so if you had open hearings, then witnesses that were waiting to testify would have a chance to listen to what someone before them said. And if they wanted to sort of be consistent in not being honest, they would line up their testimony so it was all consistent. 
And that's the reason you don't have open testimony. You have closed-door testimony because you don't want witnesses basically to, to co you know, coordinate their stories to, you know, and, and basically lie. And, and that's just as true in a grand jury investigation or, in, you know, and you think about it, how you do uh, things in court as it is in this process. You don't want witnesses to line up their testimony. You know, over the weekend, I, I read a, an article, uh, an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, and it was trying to carve out a separate slice that impeachment is somehow different and really shouldn't adhere to the closed-door um, uh, sessions like Benghazi. Do you hold that um, line of thinking at all? I'm sorry, that, that uh, impeachment is a, it's different for where, where inquiries are concerned? Well, well, like, well we shouldn't be comparing impeach, the impeachment of a president with Benghazi because we're talking about um, a duly elected representative. I, I don't know that it makes uh, a, a difference. The, uh, the, the original reason that Boehner and his associates uh, did it that way was to make sure of the same thing, the point that I just made, which is that witnesses don't line up their testimonies. So the fact that Benghazi was not necessarily an impeachment investigation, uh, I, I don't think is, is relevant. And, and by the way, if the Republicans thought they could impeach on that basis, uh, believe me, they would have. Right. They would have gone for it. Um, and that would have turned into that. The fact that they had those investigations and you know, force uh, uh, Secretary of State and others to to put up with all those hours of interrogation. I think speaks to uh, how serious they were, the Republicans were playing it last time around. Why is the process at this point um, closed door? Beyond, is it beyond, beyond the lining up of testimonies? Any other reason to have a closed door beyond what you already offered? Uh, no, I think it's just to contain information. If you're, if you're going to have closed doors, then I think it's, it's really only fair in that instance that there are no leaks at all and that you keep this uh, contained. And the Democrats control the committee and they selectively leak stuff. And then, if, you know, uh, although I, I, I suspect that some Republicans have maybe leaked a little bit, too, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but, you know, realistically, you don't want that. And, and so uh, what's important is if you're going to keep it closed, then really keep it closed. And if you're not, then do what they're going to do in a couple of weeks and make them open open hearings. Uh, how do you respond uh, to the charge that that um, Democrats are just violating basic fairness? Is that is that even a notion in these type of procedures? That they're violating basic fairness. Yeah, mean? is that even something we should even be considering in these type of procedures? Uh, you know. How do you? I, I, I think that, uh, again, uh, well, there's a couple of things. The first of them is that, that you'll note that the people on the Republican side of this are essentially arguing about the process. Or to put this in a different context, let's just imagine that we're talking about not your beloved Warriors, but we're talking about your hopefully still beloved San Francisco 49ers who are now 7 0 <sighs> and who beat the you know what out of uh, Carolina yesterday. <laughs> You have a coach who wants to complain about that. The coach, if they can't contest what's going on on the field necessarily because the other team, the 49ers, are doing really great, then what's the other thing they argue about? They argue about the rules. They argue about the process. And in this case, the evidence is overwhelming against President Trump on this quid pro quo asking for foreign intervention in our elections. 
He's admitted it. The chief of staff has admitted it. The, the you know the the evidence is there. Uh, the the, uh, the transcript of the conversation has already been released and publicized. The world, the whole world, has seen it. Um, that's there. So Republicans can't really argue on the merits of uh, of the argument to impeach. Right, the content. That's I think pretty much indefensible and undeniable. Um, so what do they do instead? Well. They're like the coach on the field is going to argue about a step out of bounds or not. You know that when someone is reduced to that, that they have a losing hand in this because process arguments rarely win. They very rarely win in court when they're challenged. And, uh, you know, they're only talking about that at this point because they don't have they don't they don't have they don't have it on the merits. Um, it looked really bad, as I said two weeks ago, when uh, Mr. Mulvaney, the chief of staff of the White House, uh, in a moment of exasperation, said, "Of course we do that. We do it all the time." <laughs> you know, quid pro quo. Get over something it. Something for something. <laughs> and, uh, Remember, he said, "Get and over then it." Then a day later, yeah. he, he tried to walk it back. You know, it was really pretty evident. Joe, what what do you say to those who support the president and feel uh, impeachment is a Democrat? attempt to cancel out their vote. How do you say that constitutionally? What, what, what's your response to them? Well, uh, I understand why somebody would feel that way. Um, and, uh, you know, one one could respond right in 2016 that the Electoral College process essentially canceled out votes, too, because Mrs. Clinton won by three and a half million votes. And, uh, uh you know, I didn't hear the Republicans complaining then about uh, unfair attempts to undo an election. Um, they were quite happy to. But, you know, the Electoral College is the process that we have, and so we abide by it. The other uh, point I think I would make about undoing an election uh, in this instance is uh, remind, remind people that impeachment is uh, in the Constitution. It's, it's something that the founding fathers created uh, uh, so that midway through service, if someone had done something which basically was traitorous or uh, really seriously negatively against uh, the interests of our country and which violated and or which violated law, you know, we didn't want to keep a person doing those things in office. And this is why I think this president's ridiculous assertion of this ridiculous claim that he can't be charged, can't be indicted, he can't be convicted, and, and now they're arguing that he can't even be investigated, is, is insane. It's uh, absolutely crazy. It's a ridiculous position. So uh, I don't think this is about undoing elections. Uh, we follow the founding fathers on everything else. Um, why would we suddenly not follow them on this? They put impeachment in there for a reason, which is to remove people from office who need to be removed for violating the law uh, and or for doing things which rise, you know, to what they call high crimes and misdemeanors, um, which was never clearly spelled out uh, in the Constitution, although in the different federal papers, I think you can intuit what they were talking about. It was lawless behavior, essentially. Um, and and this becomes uh, a way to remove someone without having to wait until the next election if their continued presence in office is a danger or to the detriment of the United States. All of that is in there, as I said, you know, for a reason. It's not to undo an election. It's to prevent 
continuing uh, a mistake no, when made I, by putting someone who, who breaks the law. No, no. Uh, when, I, when I asked you that, I was thinking um, specifically of Andrew Johnson, who didn't necessarily commit a crime, but as you just stated, it, 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 the, the, the members of the House of Representatives, the radical Republicans, felt that he needed to be removed from office and came one vote short of getting a conviction. That's what I was thinking. That's correct. Well, that's what I meant when I said that the founders really left to the House uh, to decide what that meant. They, they decide that. And that's why you, you still hear people on the Republican side today saying, yeah, boy, what Trump did with Zelensky was really bad, but we're not sure it rises to the level of an impeachable offense. Um, and, and we want to study it more or whatever. Well, that's, that's the House trying to, to deal with how to, and processing how do we interpret um, what and misdemeanors means. And to the extent that we can identify what we think that is, does Mr. Trump's conduct in this case rise to that level or not? Hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting, um, I think, on the facts, um, but I've no doubt as well that uh, the, the logic for the Democrats in, in trying to, to not have multiple articles of impeachment, but just try and narrowly focus it on one. Um, is to pick something that uh, is, is a pretty straightforward argument where there's not a lot of pieces or parts to look at. It's, it's one plus one equals two, just that kind of level of complicity. Um, present overwhelming evidence that really can't be contradicted. And what you'll see is what we've already seen, is, which is that public opinion will be uh, supportive not only of investigating the possibility of impeachment, but actually impeaching and removing from office. And uh, what's interesting about that, uh, Byron, is that the longer um, the Democrats play this and, uh, and narrowly focus it and then establish what will be a time when they do open testimony or open hearings, and then here's the end date, you know, hopefully before December, let's say, before the end of the year. Um, when we're at that process, you'll see actually that that activity, in my judgment, looking forward, will probably drive public opinion as well. And you'll see a larger number of people uh, support removal from office, which will then, again, have sort of a boomerang effect on the Congress. Because if you're in the United States Senate and you're up for re-election and you're looking at those numbers, you know, unless you're completely safe in your state, um, you now run the risk of going against the majority of voters in this country, which means you could lose your seat if you don't remove the president if he's impeached. Now, I realize and, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. Yeah, so, so these things, I think— uh, play on each other is the point, and uh, I think you know what I've been amazed at, Myron, is that the the White House I, I think still doesn't take this seriously. Mr. Trump I think uh, falsely assumes uh, that there's no way uh, the Democrats can get 19 Republicans to defect and vote the other way, and as a consequence of that, the, this White House doesn't have a game plan. They don't have an established war room the way that Bill Clinton did in the last impeachment uh, situation, um, you know, with, with, with the top thinkers on this end, uh, advising and, and uh, guiding strategy to, if not be impeached, to avoid being removed. And I, I think President Trump, who's not really a strategic thinker in a lot of ways, uh, or a long-term thinker, um, is making a mistake here by trusting the loyalty of, of 19 uh, senators. Uh, out of a hundred, you know, that they that they won't defect, and 
the Democrats have whatever it is, 47 or 48. You know, the other outcome of this can be, by the way, that the Democrats might get, might not remove Trump, and in this next election cycle, they could pick up enough votes to control the Senate. And then if they control the House as well and have a candidate who ends up winning the election, um, all the rest of this will be irrelevant anyway. So I'm, I'm very surprised that the White House is not taking this more seriously than they are. And instead of having the president... Uh, go off on on crazy uh, tweet rage, you know, uh, tweets, uh, Twitter rage uh, tweets, Um, you know, they should have responsible, balanced people that appear as bipartisan uh, spokespeople out talking uh, instead of calling people names um, and and, uh, trying to bring the temperature on this down. It's in many ways, Mr. Trump's uh, false sense of confidence has enabled what the Democrats are doing. Now, historically, I, I realize you were not providing political commentary during the Watergate hearings. But um, as I recall, Joe, uh, I read it, as I recall. <laughs> as I was I, in high school, but I remember that because I was one of two Democrats in my town, <laughs> okay. along with a guy named Jim Rushdooney. When, <laughs> when Nixon resigned, we were the only ones, two ones, cheering and saying, told you so. But, but as you recalled on the Watergate hearings, Nixon had a Republican firewall until he didn't. And was it not exactly. when public opinion started to change that the Republicans started to shift? And that's when Barry prompted Barry Goldwater to walk down, along with some other colleagues, to walk down to the White House and say, you don't have the votes in the Senate. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And Nixon, Nixon was a guy in spite of—he was actually a, pretty, a very smart guy. He, Nixon was a strategic thinker. Nixon's uh, primary, I think— to forgive the pun, problem was it, I think massive insecurity about. Uh, he's actually a very smart guy, and you know one of the people. I mean, there were there were aspects of him that are like Trump, uh, but I think Nixon was much more intelligent. Uh, finally, was it newsworthy that uh, if the allegations are true, uh, according to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, the President Trump had informed uh, uh, Russia's military of the operation before telling congressional leadership. Is that significant in any way, or is that just the chatter of the chattering class? No, no, that's totally uh, a legitimate criticism. And Mr. Trump, by the way, did inform some, but not all, of the Republican members uh, of the Gang of Eight. Um, the Constitution, again, is, you know, we keep going back to that pesky document, but, you know, it is kind of what we base our laws on. It's very, very clear um, that when the president is about to do things that invoke uh, concerns over or have an impact on national security, um, uh, on, the, on the, the military preparedness and readiness of this country, which is also related to national security, any of those things, uh, or involving us in a conflict uh, with a foreign entity, um, that he must consult and, sh- or, and or she must consult um, with Congress. It must be notification to Congress. In the House of Representatives alone, you have this is where all for the uh, uh, for armed services. This is where the appropriations committees are. This is how Congress does oversight. They can withhold budget um, on this, and that's why they have skin in this game. That's why they absolutely have to be notified. And the whole idea of this gang of eight, which was sort of a more modern uh, uh, group to get together, you know, these eight people, um, which includes Speaker Pelosi, by the way. Um, the whole idea of that was that these people in particular are deeply um, uh, knowledgeable about uh, defense and foreign affairs, 
and as I said before, they do oversight uh, on defense um, and and you know, have the power of the purse in this case as well to, to finance these operations. The president can't just sort of wing it by himself. So the idea when he suggested he didn't trust Democrats not to leak, um, from a president who wink wink was saying something big is coming on Sunday, you know, for several days, and I think we could all guess what it was. Um, the idea that he would withhold on them. Uh, because he didn't trust them is absolute nonsense. His behavior in not notifying them is scandalous and, again, goes against the Constitution. This is a person who, who not only doesn't obey you know, federal laws, he ignores the reality of the Constitution, which is, I think, all by itself a reason to remove him from office. He's the wrong person for this job. Joe Tuman, once again, sir, we thank you uh, so much for lending us your time here today on the public morality. Myron, on behalf of myself and August, another plug, thank <laughs> you for having us on. The Public Morality welcomes your comments. You can contact me at Byron at publicmorality.org. That's Byron, B-Y-R-O-N, at publicmorality.org. Our archive broadcasts are located at soundcloud.com. Just search for Public Morality. You can also find us on iTunes. And my new book, Solitaire, is available on paperback and Kindle on Amazon. The Public Morality is produced at WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University. For all of us at The Public Morality, I'm Byron Williams. Oh, <laughs>